Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Stories and scandal water. It's where you need to be. Stories and scandal water. Let's pour you a cup of tea. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Candy. How are you today? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited that we are getting ready to record our listener request episode for March. Yes, it's very, it's the end of our March series, Murder, Mystery, and Madness. Ooh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, and I think this is going to be a fun one too, because our listener who won our little contest here and will be receiving her sticker, by the way, is Rebecca R. And her idea was very interesting, I thought. Mm -hmm. She wanted us to delve into to the idea of conspiracy theories in oh, particular. Oh, you know I'm all about that. Mm-hmm. I, well, I want to hear more about that in just okay. a second. But in particular, she mentioned one that she suggested we dig into, which is the Paul is dead Ooh, phenomenon very there. cool. So we're going to get into that in just a second. But I did want to ask you, tell me about, what is your thinking about conspiracy theories? Oh, well, I think that conspiracy, sometimes they're not conspiracy theories, they're conspiracy fact. But <laughs> I think I've told you this before, but they make my vanilla life more interesting. They add, they add some sprinkles to my life. I find them fascinating and interesting, and I am open to what if there's another side to the story? And I also have a theory that something that doesn't rest means that the truth isn't known yet. So I've heard you say that uh-huh. before. So these things like um, how did Marilyn Monroe die, Amelia Earhart and her airplane crash, there's just some things that just keep coming up. Oak Island, what is all of this stuff? All of that. It's just, it feels like, why would they keep coming up unless we just don't know the truth because the truth is supposed to set you free and I would think the truth would be the freedom of that subject resting in peace. Hmm. Funny that you keep using the word truth because mm-hmm. the working title for this episode that I haven't really settled on one yet. So mm-hmm. my working title is The Truth Is Out There. Oh! Because it when I think about conspiracy theories, The X-Files immediately came to my oh, mind. okay. That's a show that I did watch. You did watch that one. I did. Now I'm going to I'm gonna be honest. In the beginning I really did love the conspiracy part of it. Mm-hmm. But after a while it kind of got bogged down I thought a little bit in that and I really love the standalone supernatural episodes way better but in general I think people are interested in conspiracy theories I feel like it's a it's a fun topic although something that's come to my mind recently is that piggybacking on what you said I think sometimes it crosses over into beliefs sure you know that rather than than theory some people I think it starts kind of maybe going into that territory of this is something that they strongly believe Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about that in another episode what episode was it where we uh, we talked about this on the episode about Rose Mackenberg and Harry Houdini mm-hmm. and all of that that they needed to believe right in those mediums that it had to be true right just full stop it had to be that's a yes um, that's a good good connection with that in mind I wanted to to take a moment just to say at the top of this episode that as always we're just doing this for fun so we definitely want to be conscious that other people might have strong feelings about sure. some of the things that we say and right. we definitely you know don't want to offend or step on anybody's toes as usual 
usual, we're just talking about things that we know nothing about. Yeah, this is just two girls having a conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Well, recognizing that we're going to be moving into the Paul is Dead conspiracy theory, mm-hmm. let's let's start with the Beatles. Okay. Actually, what's your background with the Beatles? You said we weren't going to be controversial, and I'm going to come out of the gate being a oh, little controversial. Oh, wow. I think that there, and I could be wrong, you know, but you got to state your opinion if you have it. I think that there are two schools of people out there. There's Elvis fans, and then there's Beatle fans. Hmm. Because I always felt like Elvis fans would lean more toward bluegrass music, rock and roll johnny cash side of things and beatles fans would be more like the doors and that brand of music so i fell more into the elvis camp than the beatles camp there were a few songs of theirs that i really did enjoy i like yesterday i like twist and shout because that mm-hmm. was in ferris bueller's day off but i would not call myself a humongous beatles fan interesting i actually like both but i was a big beatles fan at one point in my life in fact i have this theory that no matter what generation you're from at some point in your life it's going to be cool to be retro a little sure. bit i just yeah i think i I've seen it even with my own kids. Uh-huh. So there was a time when I was a huge Beatles fan. Okay. And in fact, I had a crush on Paul. So, ah, yeah. So he's pretty cute. So I, I know a lot of their songs. I, I know just from my own background knowledge, things about their history and their lives. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to me when Rebecca brought this topic up for us to explore. I really didn't know about the Paul is dead You'd never heard thing. this? Even though you what, were a fan? Right. I'd heard little pieces. Okay. Like I knew people thought things about the Abbey Road cover and how, you know, there was something about Paul being different. And I didn't realize that people thought Paul had been replaced, that there was this whole backstory. Correct. So that was interesting to me Uh and definitely gave me some things to dig into Uh for this. You know, as always, I think I say this every time, I learned a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this is for. That's what this is about. (laughs) All right. Well, let's just get right into it then. Looking at sources, always I try to go and find reputable sources. I try to look for the the news articles or the whatever first. When you come across something like this, it's not as easy to find some of those sources, but I pulled a lot from Rolling Stone. I did find a BBC article, something from Vulture, and then, of course, things from musical journals and that type of thing. So did the best I could trying to find Did the, you do any video sources news. or all, all media? I all actually print. watched all, what is it, eight hours of you Get did Back. Not. I did. Wow. Because once I started, then I had to finish it because wow. I, I got sucked right in. Did you really? Because I absolutely loved it. You did. I watched those first 40 minutes and I thought, how in the world did you all write songs? Because that first 40 minutes, well, we see how amazingly popular they were. And that is an understatement of the century. But then when they were in that recording studio and they were trying to come up with their songs, I thought, boys, you've done this for years and years and you can't come up with anything. Come on, guys, let's get this going. But that was just me. I probably am jumping the gun a little bit, mm-hmm. but I had been... Been researching deeply into this episode at the time that I started watching Get Back, which is the documentary, by the way, guys, on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. So I had all of these ideas. I was kind of enmeshed in the 1969 era of, of when this rumor, this theory is going to be coming to play. Right. When I started watching the documentary and I'm literally seeing these musical icons who I had been a fan of, uh-huh. you know, a big fan when I was younger, when I'm seeing them at 28 years old and I am watching them literally create from scratch and take to performance level classic songs like Get Back oh. or Let It Be uh-huh. or I mean Oh was that in there Let It Be? It it wasn't a huge part but yes it came out okay. I mean but like you, we watched the unfolding of certain songs Well I guess 40 minutes into it they had not you, started to unfold yet You did not and I mean he, <laughs> they, they really could have edited that thing yes. down 
But on the other hand, I saw the dynamics between them. Mm-hmm. I saw the conflicts. I saw the love. Okay, I so saw Yoko. The... As I was researching, I found out that one of the big conflicts that would lead to the band's breakup was the fact that they were getting a new business manager that three of the Beatles wanted. They supported his hiring. Paul did not. And that was like Paul one of the many not. factors that led to their breakup. I literally saw on the documentary where John and Yoko had gone and talked to this new business manager. And John is telling George and Ringo, hey, this guy. Guy, Alan because Klein. theirs had died, right? Yeah. So I'm watching this going, this is going to be part of what breaks them up. Ah. We got to hear them talking about Yoko at one point uh-huh. when John and Yoko weren't there and they were talking about how she would speak. I mean, you were, it was like you had this window first into everything. Yeah. It was like first person history for you. Yes, it was. Mm. And so when it ended, I literally got like teary. Oh, yeah. What did it end with? Well, you had to go through sure. eight hours, but we got to see their rooftop performance performance, Mm -hmm. which was the culminating event. Mm -hmm. And then they had a lot of, the ending was playing some of their songs and then footage of them. Okay. And it it just got me. Wow. So do you feel like then they could have edited out a lot of from that first episode? It it did not hold my attention, again, coming from a not diehard Beatles fan, nothing against you guys if you are, it's just different people. But I felt like, get to the song already. You know, let me see you getting to the song because you have to write a lot of songs and you're not even even to the first one yet. We talk a lot about audience and purpose, mm-hmm. and I don't think you would have stuck with that documentary unless you were something of a fan because yeah. he could have taken, again, I don't know if it was eight hours, nine hours, he could have cut that down to two to three hours yeah. easily and made yeah. it very friendly for a more but general audience. Maybe they will do that eventually, but this mm-hmm. clearly sounds like it was for the diehard fans who want to see, like, we want to see all the footage possible. It right. would be for we me. We want to see everything. Yeah, for me, it would be like if they had a direct. Jurassic Park documentary mm-hmm. and they were showing us behind the scenes and the people interacting I would eat that stuff up right but this was just not in my wheelhouse but I did stick with it for at least 40 minutes and again I was a fan when I was a lot younger and I, you know in the last so many years it's not like they've been big on my radar by any means and it was even a lot for me to get through all mm-hmm. of it there were many times when I was like okay come on mm-hmm. you know push this mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. but there were so many nuggets so many things that I found incredibly so that sounds like it would benefit from an, an editor just going out and, and pulling those nuggets out yeah absolutely and i think we probably just took a big old sorry (laughs) big old turn down that rabbit trail on the flip side i think it also leads into this episode i think there is some value because this paul is dead rumor as i said earlier i think really is right around the same time period some of the same things i'm getting ready to talk about Mm -hmm. will come into play i'll I'll probably mention some things i saw in that documentary that relate to it so i think we i think it it gave some context that's going to be helpful to us. Okay. Okay. So just to give context, it was 1969. The Beatles were not in a happy place. In fact, as I just mentioned, when I was talking about the documentary, this is the period when they are basically breaking up. Mm. And one of those conflicts, as I said, was about their choice of that new business manager, Alan Klein. Paul felt like he was being yanked up a little bit because it was three against one. And, And then there was also that conflict of Paul and John having creative differences. They were tired of sharing song credits. They were being competitive with each other. One article mentioned Paul was upset to learn. Now, this is one article, so Mm -hmm. 
it's only one source, but it mentioned that Paul was upset to learn that Yoko and John had been doing some hard drugs together. So there was that in the mix, if that's true. And just the fact that we literally heard on the documentary where they were talking about the fact that they felt like Yoko would speak for John. I mean, and and you could watch out of those eight hours that we happened to see, which I'm sure came from. Oh, yeah. It was like 14 or 20 days. And Yoko was beside John nearly all the time, nearly every moment. Did they have some genuine affection going on? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were definitely in love. But I think there was a little bit of she was in the middle of the band. Uh, You know, I mean, she wasn't like over on the side watching. I saw in that first few minutes, 40 whatever minutes, she was sitting next to him, Mm -hmm. like right next to him. Yes. And all the way through. Mm. And every now and then one of the other bandmates would have a child or a wife Mm -hmm. or a fiance, somebody would come and they would be over on the side and and Mm. they would interact every now and then, but it wasn't right there in the middle of everything. So I think that was a little bit of the tension too. She inserted herself. I think that's how they felt based on some of the comments that were made. So Sgt. Pepper had just been released in 1967. That was one album. The White Album had come out in 1968 and both Yellow Submarine Film, which was early 1969, and Abbey Road, both of those came out in 1969. I think Abbey Road was around September maybe. So it was within this context that the Paul is dead rumor supposedly got started. And according to more than one source, but one of those being music journalist Meryl Noden, it was a college kid that started the whole craze. Hmm. Tim Harper was the first one to publish an article about this rumor, this phenomenon, and it was in a paper for a student, it was a student newspaper called the Drake Times Delphic. It was a student newspaper at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, and the date was 17th of September, 1969. His article was called, Is Beatle Paul McCartney Dead? And he wrote this because a rumor had been started and was being circulated around campus that gave all these clues that people were picking up from the recent Beatle albums, which I've just named, mm-hmm. including a message that was interpreted as Turn Me On, Dead Man, mm-hmm. which you could hear on the White Album, the track Revolution 9, if you played it backwards. Now, just to kind of stop and pause for a second, this was something the Beatles had been playing with, and probably, I think, other bands too, where they were doing some of this. I think it was called backmasking, where they would sometimes... They would do it on purpose? They would do it on purpose. Yeah, oh, playfully. Like okay. this was a thing that some bands did. Okay. Yeah. So that was ad- admittedly something that the Beatles had done. Okay. But again, the fans were taking these things, these clues that they were finding within songs or within backmasking or on the lyrics, uh, you know, that were printed on a cover, all these different places. And they were reading into them that there was some kind of message the Beatles were trying to share with them. Okay. Okay. So another thing that was referenced was the back cover of Sgt. Pepper, where every Beatle except Paul McCartney was photographed facing the front, and the front cover of Magical Mystery Tour, which showed an unidentified band member in a different colored suit from the other three. These were some of the things that they talked about that were used as clues within this article to kind of point towards this idea that Paul was dead. Okay. Why would Paul participate in it? 
He didn't. N- no, if that's what I mean. Like, if it was really signs from them, why would Paul be like, yeah, hey, hey. Oh, I see what you're saying. If it was the re- if it was a replacement, Paul, wouldn't it be the other three that was trying to tell us? And they're like, hey, Paul, stand right here for a second. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Like, if they were really trying to cover it up, mm-hmm. why would you even do that? Right. Hmm. It's a good question. A theory, we're, we are jumping ahead a little bit. A theory that people will put out, we'll get to in a minute, is that, that the Beatles wanted to break the news to the fans gently. Ah, that he had died. And so they were giving clues so that when the fans eventually figured it out, it would have come slowly and gradually and it would, you know, be easier for them to take. But so this article that came out in the student newspaper was in September and in October, specifically on October 12th, 1969, was when it really blew up because what happened on that day was a Detroit DJ named Russ Gibb was hosting a show on WKNR when a caller called called in and told him to put on the Beatles White Album and spin the number nine, number nine intro from Revolution 9 backwards. And then Mm -hmm. when they did it, of course, he heard the words, turn Mm -hmm. me on dead man. Mm -hmm. And then people kept calling in. They're talking about clues. And of course, this is on the radio. So rather than being kind of kept to this one campus, this... The radio put it out there. Right. This put it out there. Okay. Another thing that they said was a clue was at the end of Strawberry Fields Forever, John says, I buried Paul. There was just all these things that people kept talking about over and over again. So after the Detroit radio broadcast, people just pounced on the story. Two days later, the Michigan Daily explained that the picture on the cover of Abbey Road, which had just been released Uh on September 26, 1969, they said, well, this is a funeral procession. The preacher is John because Uh he's in white. The undertaker is Ringo, who's in black. And then they said, well, Paul is the corpse because he was barefoot. He was out of step with the other bandmates. He was carrying a cigarette in his right hand, even though he was left-handed. And they said, well, George, he was in denim you know he's bringing up the rear he's the grave digger so like people are just reading clues into everything that's pretty good that's a pretty good uh that's a pretty good analogy there yeah. clue readers <laughs> and according to the bbc college undergraduates played a huge role in mm-hmm. spreading this a lot of times in in the articles it would call it a myth or an urban legend sure nearly every source i read talked about the importance of college students in spreading the rumor across their campuses mm-hmm. they said that's really how a lot of this took off so there were articles written in other college papers by student writers who were analyzing those Beatles songs and covers and all those different things and pointing out more hidden messages and clues. It just was coming from everywhere. Okay. And the fact that the Beatles had not performed live in front of an audience since the 1966 Candlestick Park concert in San Francisco actually helped give rise to the conspiracy theory because it was like, oh, we, we haven't seen them in a long time. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that, that did not help things. Mm -hmm. So here's what the actual rumor was. Okay. All right. Supposedly, Paul died on November 9th, 1966, according to some sources, because there were conflicting things. There were conflicting versions of the rumor. But some sources say that the rumor is he drove away from Abbey Road late the night before, so November 8th, and they pulled that from A Stupid Bloody Tuesday, which is a line in a song, and then he blew his mind out in a car. Again, that's a song lyric from A Day in the Life. They're thinking that these clues from the song A Day in the Life are telling about Paul's death. Okay. And then the BBC article shared a different rumor, though. See, we, there were different versions. Okay. This one said that it was after this vicious fight with his, you know, other Beatles in the recording studio uh-huh. that Paul had sped off in his car That's the one and I died heard. in a crash. That's the one I heard. Yeah. So there were two different versions, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there are probably more than that. Based on clues from the Sgt. Pepper album artwork, the theory is he was officially pronounced dead because there was 
was OPD, the letters. There was a patch on his sleeve with those, you know, letters, OPD. So they interpreted that to mean he was officially pronounced dead at the exact time of five o'clock on Wednesday morning because they said that George was pointing to a line in the lyrics on the cover Mm -hmm. that said Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins. So they're putting all these things together. Okay. Now, their theory is the Beatles decided to hush up the news. So Wednesday morning papers didn't come. That's another part of the lyrics. And that somehow they kept Paul's death a secret, replaced him with a lookalike, which some rumors say is Billy Shears. Yes. Because of the Sergeant Pepper's reference. And then again, I've already kind of previewed this, but then they were dropping all these little hints and about their cover up. Because, because they held a lookalike contest, right? Tell me that because I didn't see that part. Oh, they held, um, I couldn't give you a source, but they, I believe in a magazine they held a uh, Paul McCartney lookalike contest mm-hmm. and it was after this car accident. Okay. All right. I I didn't run across that part. Supposedly, the Beatles started dropping these little hints about the cover-up because some say it's so that they would spare the fans the grief or slowly break it to the the fans. Mm -hmm. But one of the points that's made then from people who who think that this rumor, of course, is untrue is then that means the imposter is the one who wrote Hey Jude and Blackbird and a lot of really Really significant songs. I mean, he could be a good songwriter. Right. Some of the other clues that were brought On the Abbey Road cover, the Volkswagen with 28 IF on the license plate. So they interpreted that to mean that's how how old Paul would have been if he were still alive because he was 27 at the time. Another clue, I Am the Walrus, ends with a live BBC broadcast of a fatal scene from Shakespeare's King Lear with the character groaning, oh, untimely death. Which, see, this is what's interesting. That's actually true. Uh-huh. John did do that on purpose. He taped it off the radio one night because he liked how it fit with the song. So the Beatles would do playful things like that all the time. Right. And that was just John being playful. But that was interpreted by the people looking for clues as another sign that Paul was dead. And another Another clue that was pulled out by them was that in Glass Onion, John sings, here's another clue for you all, the walrus was Paul. So... Of course, it does not take long before the Beatles and the people who run the Beatles group, the managers right. and et cetera, become aware of the rumor. In fact, Paul told Rolling Stone back in 1974, someone from the office rang me up and said, look, Paul, you're dead. And I said, oh, I don't agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very much alive. <laughs> yeah. But of course, the theory is spreading like wildfire and, and fans are continuing to scour uh, you know, everything about the Beatles, looking for clues that they think are hidden there. But Paul made it worse because he refused to address it. Right. Yes. Let's be honest. This is pretty good for business. Mm-hmm. This is pretty good for business. I remember reading a comment on a YouTube video that I saw one time and the guy commented and he said he was a, he worked in a record store in the late 60s. Don't know if it was true. This is what he said. That the sales of the Beatles records were going down. And he mm. said our store had only ordered about five copies of their latest record until all of a sudden one college kid comes in and he starts scouring the front and he starts talking about all these clue things Ah. and then he said then after that a couple weeks later we couldn't keep it in stock right so this rumor or truth or whatever or whatever they decided they spun it to where it worked for them this is such an excellent point because in the documentary that's one of the reasons why i don't know if we've shared the premise they decided they had not had a concert in a long time and they locked themselves away and they put themselves in this situation that was not the normal thing because they decided we have to create new songs 
films, we have to like put ourselves in a situation. I think originally it was to make a film, but then, but they also wanted to do a concert with it. And some of the things that you heard them talk about was the fact that they hadn't put out a single yeah. in a long time. Yeah. They hadn't done any kind of a so concert. they wouldn't have been selling in, records. I mean, they were selling albums. Yeah, sure. But they had really kind of fallen off the radar yeah. and they were all like George talks about the fact that his songs, he's got all these songs that the Beatles weren't letting him put out there. I mean, there were all these things, all these factors going mm-hmm. on. So you can see where, especially if they're on the verge of breaking up, but they're mm-hmm. not sure. Great publicity. Yeah. Get your name back out there. Get yep. your things selling. Yep. yep. That actually makes a lot of sense. But back to Paul. He he didn't want to deal with it. He was in seclusion on his Scottish farm with his wife, Linda, and his stepdaughter, Heather, and their six-week-old daughter, Mary. They had a newborn to care for, which was his first biological child. Okay. And he just, he didn't want to deal with it. He just okay. wanted to be with his family. And I think you do see a lot of the t- I think in the documentary because again this is the same time period basically I could see where where he you know was just wanted to kind of take a break and be with his family mm-hmm. he told Rolling Stone they said look what are you going to do about it it's a big thing breaking in America you're dead and so I said leave it just let them say it it'll probably be the best publicity we've ever had and I won't have to do a thing except stay alive so I managed to stay alive through it see that's what I'm saying yeah. it's great publicity yeah but John was supposedly furious he actually called that same Detroit radio station that had started the talk back in October Mm -hmm. and he was apparently engaging with them some of the quotes was it's the most stupid rumor I've ever heard and it sounds like the same guy who blew up my Christ remark because he remember that he denied any coded messages he said I don't know what Beatles records sound like backwards I never play them backwards he denied that he was the preacher at a funeral they said I was wearing a white religious suit I mean did Humphrey Bogart wear a white religious suit all I've got is a nice Humphrey Bogart suit and some of the speculation yeah. is that the reason why he was irritated was because he was just getting ready to release his solo single, Cold Turkey. Yeah. And which, Paul's getting all the attention. Yep. A little like, bit of Betty and Joan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes sense because they were competitive with each other. They were they were tired of being tied together. Both of them, I think, wanted to do some solo things. And this was his opportunity to finally get away from the Lennon-McCartney credit and to, to get out there with his own work and also he and Yoko really wanted to do some stuff together. They, Did she sing? She put out some songs. <laughs> there's a there's a part on the documentary where she does like this squealing sound that goes on for like minutes and it was like it was a screeching kind of thing and I think the way it looked to me and one of our you know listeners can comment on here if, if you saw it differently but it sounded to me like they thought that this was artistic and they really liked the sound of it. All of them did? Well no, John okay. and Yoko (laughs) and wanted to do something with it maybe but it was just kind of like this long screechy yell and in my notes here it says that they were getting ready to come out with the wedding album which was with Yoko so so she was on a Beatles album no 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 she was with John oh yeah she and John did some work together Yeah. So again, you named it. This was this this whole thing over Paul was stealing his thunder. Right. Before we go on, should we take a little break? Let's do it. So back to how everyone was reacting to the rumor. It said in the sources that at first, the Beatles press officer, who was Derek Taylor, really just kind of brushed it off. Here's a quote from him. Ah, they're always trying to start one of those. It's happened before. The calls will stop coming in a few days. But it said this time, it just kept going and going. And some things, in fact, fed it. For example, some other bands or artists jumped on it and made these fast songs that referenced the theories. 
So for example, there was a man named Jose, Jose Feliciano who put out So Long Paul. And then there was a song called Brother Paul put out by Billy Shears and the All-Americans. Nice. And then there was another one, We're All Paul Bearers <laughs> by Zacharias and the Tree People. And then the, even um, something by Buffalo Springfield, it was actually an imitator, that said in one of their lyrics, See the patch insinuation OPD on his sleeve wearing black sweet carnation while bringing mystery. So they were like, you know, really making lots of references. That's really on the nose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it didn't matter what types of retractions people gave. The theory and the belief in this continued, even despite a quote back to that press officer again, Derek Taylor. He said that he put out a quote that said, the Paul McCartney who wrote, and I love her, still loves you and is still alive and has a lot to write. There are a thousand songs unwritten and much to do. But it kept going to try to quell this life magazine sent reporters out to find paul mccartney on his farm and it said at first he actually threw a bucket of water on them but he finally agreed to do the interview and to take the photos just to try to put it to rest and on november 9th there was a cover story paul mccartney is still with us was the title but a comment that Paul made, which was kind of cute, was that he thought the only thing that it really did was cause people to scrutinize the pictures to look for differences with his chin or jawline mm -hmm, or anything mm -hmm. that might prove he was a fake. And and here's his actual quote. He told Mojo, in, and I think it must be a magazine called Mojo in 2009, I think the worst thing that happened was that I could see people sort of looking at me more closely. Were his ears always like that? <laughs> and the Rolling Stone article says, they put it out there, they say, Needless to say, it wasn't true, was the quote in this magazine. And they talk about some of the reasons that proves that this was not true. So, for example, the OPD on the shoulder was not really OPD at all. It was OPP. It stood for Ontario Provincial Police. And during a visit to Toronto in 1964, four of those OPP arm badges had been presented as a gift of appreciation to actually three of the Beatles by an OPP corporal. And it had been sitting around in Paul's bureau, supposedly, for a long time. And then he finally decided to use it in this picture. John was actually saying cranberry sauce, not I buried Paul in the famous hidden lyric that everybody had talked about. The what line. That? What is that? Just something to say? Say something silly. Okay. Yeah. There was the line, he blew his mind out in a car that had really fueled the fire about Paul's death. But actually, there was a whole piece about this in Rolling Stone. The core inspiration for the song was about a friend of theirs. Um, the man who blew his mind out in a car referred to the death of Tara Brown, who had died in a car accident on December 18, 1966. The 21-year-old Brown was heir to the Guinness fortune, and he was a friend of the Beatles. Hmm. There's a book called I Read the News Today, Oh Boy, mm -hmm. The Short and Gilded Life of Tara Brown, the man who inspired the Beatles' greatest song. And in that book summary, it talks about the fact that this was a young Irishman who epitomized the spirit of the times. He raced cars. He was a Vogue model. He was a friend of the Rolling Stones, style icon, the whole thing. And supposedly the man who turned Paul McCartney onto LSD. Mm. And the story went that John was working on trying to write a song and he propped the newspaper on his piano, saw this headline about the death of Tara Brown, and that ended up inspiring the whole song. What song is 
Jesus? A day in the life. And George, who had supposedly been pointing to that line about Wednesday at five o'clock, which inspired people to think that that was when Paul died. Yeah. That was actually something totally different. It looked like the Beatles were trying to spell out the word love. And you could see that John was looking, appeared to be making the letter V. Ringo appeared to be making the letter E. George was making the L sign. And so it wasn't actually like pointing to a line in the lyrics on the cover. It was just making a letter. Like that? But it was Mm -hmm. tilted a little? Yes. So it looked like he was pointing to something. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the license plate that was supposed to have referenced, he would be 28 if. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an I on there. It was a one. Okay. I mean, there were just so many things that if you looked at the... Individual things. Right. Mm -hmm. You could say, you know. Rolling Stone said that they felt, this is Rolling Stone's perspective or the writer of that article. I'm sure lots of people would disagree with this, but the quote was, by 1970, nobody seriously believed Paul was dead. But for some reason, the story remained hugely popular long after it was debunked. It became a permanent part of Beatles lore, a totally fan-generated phenomenon that the band could only watch with amusement or exasperation because they could not seem to stop it even when they tried. And it talked about in 1993, Paul even referenced the Paul is Dead myth himself, Mm -hmm. and he offered his own rebuttal by putting out an album called Paul is Live. And in his album, he basically did several little parodies of the myth or the mm-hmm. the rumor. For example, his artwork mirrored the Abbey Road artwork, mm-hmm. but he changed some things. So for example, he does have on shoes. The license plate for this, this new cover says 51 is, indicating that he is alive and the age at this time is 51. That's all he was. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's putting his left foot forward, whereas on Abbey Road, he was seen with his right foot forward. So basically he had like all these different things that was supposed to to kind of be a rebuttal to gotcha. to what had happened before. It's been goodness, what? Well over 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. And still Paul is dead remains one of the most famous conspiracy theories, music conspiracy theories anyway, of all time. Mm-hmm. In fact, in 2009, Time Magazine included Paul is Dead in its feature on 10 of the world's most enduring conspiracy theories. It's interesting, though, this particular magazine made the point that something really major did happen on November 9th, 1966. Whether or not it was the day Paul died, they pointed out that was the day that John met Yoko Ono. Oh, golly. Yeah. Yeah. That was a red letter day. Armchair psychologist. So that's just a quick walkthrough of the rumor. But I wanted to, first of all, because I'm sure, you know, we started by saying people have different beliefs and it's fun to play around with it. So what is your stance? Do you believe it? Well, I would say that we don't know the truth, whatever it is. I would like to believe it because I think it's very interesting. (laughs) And I have looked into like uh, what he was talking about. Has his ears always looked like that before? I think the previous Paul had, I don't know which way, either they were detached earlobes and now they're unattached. You know, the nose is different. The chin is different. So he could have had plastic surgery, sure. But it could be an interesting thing to think about that he is replaced. I think he probably was. You do? You believe it? Let's say if he was. Let's let's take two sides of it. So let's be diplomatic. Let's say if he was killed, the top of that documentary had how crazy popular they were, right? Mm-hmm. And that they were concerned that if people found out that he was dead, there's two sides of that. If they found out he was dead, that there could be mass suicide. Like when Bruno Valentino died, people were jumping off of buildings. He was this really? human. Oh, I've never heard uh, yeah, that. They were, oh. they were suicidal. These women were suicidal. Women have loved matinee idols for a long time. Hmm. And he was a big star in the 20s and he 
died very early mm. and they were suicidal. Mm. Oh my goodness. So you have this mass hysteria. The girls are just fainting and crying and they were humongous fans. So if you find out that the cute one, you know, mm-hmm. is gone. He was the cute one. He was the cute one. <laughs> if you find out he's gone, you're going to be, number one, you're going to have mass hysteria. Number two, that's a big cash cow that is now gone. Mm-hmm. So if he did actually die and they replaced him with someone, you know, if they had the lookalike contest and they bring in somebody, he could be a good songwriter. He could have, and the style of songs is very different. The stuff they wrote early is more playful, more childlike. And the second Paul, if you want to call him that, he had more thoughtful lyrics or more um i would just call them two different styles it doesn't mm-hmm. you can always explore different styles as a different person you and i write differently and we speak differently depending on mm-hmm. what we're interested in the other side is if he did not die mm-hmm. then if their record sales were waning this is an amazing publicity stunt mm-hmm. either way it goes it works for the beatles mm-hmm. either for way sure. this for is sure. a this is a win-win situation right. if it's really paul then okay you just have to deal with this but you're selling and, and look he even played into it he released a new record Right. We don't know if the songs are good on it, but we're going to buy that record because <laughs> he's directly referencing everything that you guys have, well, those guys have said is the reason that he's dead. So why does he keep acknowledging it? He's not ignoring it. Sometimes he did. Sometimes mm-hmm. he didn't. I just think it's a great publicity stunt. There's also rumors that um, Doris Day was replaced. Really? Yes. For a similar reason. She was killed in a car accident or something like that. And if you look at early pictures of Doris Day versus later pictures of Doris Day, I actually like second Doris better because... <laughs> I like the early Doris is the one that did all of the big band stuff, but she was making a lot of money. And Mm. um, second one is the one that did all the movies with Rock Hudson and stuff like that. I don't know if it's true or not. Interesting Mm -hmm. to believe. Mm -hmm. Makes it a little more flavorful. Makes life a little Mm -hmm. more interesting. There is a more recent rumor that Taylor Swift was Mm -hmm. replaced. Don't I have no clue if that's true or not, but same, very same reason, money. It all comes down to motive for me, I think comes down to love or money, and this is definitely money. I I fall on the side of not believing it. Yeah, and that's Um, fine. And yeah, absolutely. I respect your opinion too. And some of the the things that go through my mind are I think about if you pulled ten pictures off Facebook of any of us. Sure. How different will we look based on age, weight loss, weight gain? They were doing drugs. Yeah, you, that if you've had you a lot. If you've had dental surgery, if you yeah. happen to be sick, I mean, people change. I think about evolution and your songwriting skills and your songwriting yeah. ability. I'm not the same person I was when I was 18. Sometimes right. I literally look back and go, really, that was me? Right. You know, there are just so many things. Because I was a fan, watching, you know, you could see Paul McCartney in films in like 1964, mm-hmm. and you could see him in 1969 in these documentaries. To me, he's the same guy. But I totally respect the people who, who feel differently. An interesting thing you brought up, which I'll, I'm going to bring this in and we'll see if, if it fits. Just thinking about conspiracy theories in general, mm-hmm. that same guy, Tim Harper, who was editor of the Drake University student paper that supposedly was started the first this. one that started everything. Exactly. Right. He later said that he was, they was, he was talking about why it became such a huge subject of discussion among the students at the start of that academic year. And here was a quote from him. A lot of us, because of Vietnam, and the so-called establishment were ready, willing, and able to believe just about any sort of conspiracy. Mm. And so then, again, you and I have said it so many times already in this episode, we talked about the fact that people do really find conspiracy theories fascinating. We're mm-hmm. drawn to them. Mm-hmm. We, I watch movies about them. I'm thinking about not just X-Files, but the Americans, you know, some of those different mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. In 
this one particular, and this is, it was not like some huge credible source. It was somebody speculating. So maybe, maybe there's nothing to this, but this particular source was just talking about why, why are conspiracy theories so popular in our culture? And so this person, rather than try to paraphrase it, I'm going to read little pieces of it, but okay. he talked about how he felt like the JFK assassination right? yeah. kicked off a bunch of it. Here's the part I'll, I'll actually read to you as a quote. In the late 1960s, that is which just so happens to be the years when the country radically polarized along the political lines we now know so oppressively well. Mm -hmm. The assassination wasn't just a chaotic, spectacular, improbable event that Americans desperately wanted explained, even if the explanations were terrifying. It was also the locus of an ideological battlefield over who were the heroes and who the real villains in American life, pro-Castro and anti-Castro, Russian operatives, the CIA, LBJ, the mafia, the Camelot Kennedys, the list goes on. We floated conspiracy theories, in other words, as a way of projecting politics. Mm. And then it goes on. He says that it started with JFK, and then he talks about how it progressed. He says, while there were both political and pop culture conspiracy theories in the 1960s and 70s, Elvis is still alive, you may have heard. I have. I think he is. (laughs) (laughs) Conspiracism as a phenomenon didn't come into full flower until the 1990s. That was thanks to the internet. Mm. Message boards and chat rooms of that era gave us the golden age of political conspiracy theory, which we are still living in. Or sharing information. True. They were also the birthplace of pop culture paranoia when doubts about the real identities of singers and actors, whether they had actually died or truly written that particular song, gave rise to the real debate and to forensic scrutiny. This person is opinionated one way. So that's just one side. But he is saying that there's a lot out there now. When you mentioned Taylor Swift, when I started researching music conspiracy theories, Mm -hmm. about 50 came up. Really? They are all over the place. It's money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. We've talked about it with uh, earlier in the year with Mickey Mouse and Disney they don't want to let that guy go he's their spokesperson he's mm-hmm. raking in the dough mm-hmm. for them so another thing I'm thinking as you're explaining all this stuff it almost feels like a, a red herring all of this like obvious callback to the fans like look over here because look at him walking barefoot who in the world walks barefoot on hot pavement <laughs> his feet had to be killing him and I've heard that he said well I, my feet were hot so I took off my shoes to walk in the- what who does that but that's <laughs> beside the point I just wanted to say that but it just feels like they were playing playing into this even Mm -hmm. though they said oh we don't know I've never played that record backwards dude Mm -hmm. right come on they were backmasking they were doing some of it yeah Yeah, you were doing some of it so you guys are playing whether it's true or not you're playing into this because you know it will help sell records you may not have known it at first or somebody had a great idea Mm -hmm. and they they went with it like I said either way either way this argument goes they win they win we're still talking about them they win yeah more than 50 years later more than 50 years later we are still talking they win wow that's an interesting observation and, and maybe a good place to to end it. Oh, yeah. A good place to end it. But I've got a question. Maybe we can post this on Facebook. I'm mm-hmm. very interested in this. I wonder if people who believe that he has been replaced, let's not even say dead. Let's just say replaced because he could be floating out there like, I just want to retire. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> he could have gotten tired of all of this. Let's say the word replaced. So if they are not huge Beatles fans. So like for me, I'm like, good for you, Beatles. Glad you had a nice record. Live a nice, happy life. I don't have to be in it. You were a giant Beatles fan. So you watch them all the time. You were very interested in them. But you you do not believe he was replaced. Right. So I would be interested in what our listeners say. 
Sure. Are you a huge Beatles fan? And do you believe that he was replaced? Yeah. Let's have do a little poll. Yes, yeah, let's absolutely. do it. Yes. Data. We want some data. I love it. Ooh, okay. So let's think about who we want to cheers. Okay. Doesn't seem like we would just do the Beatles in general. Okay. But so, so how about this? Okay. How about we cheers the documentary makers out there who give us the opportunity to to live history That's right. with people like this and to help us see more of the evidence we're looking for. Let's do it. Let's cheers to the filmmakers. Cheers. Cheers. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the Scandal Water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests advertisers or clearly professional psychologists thanks for listening